Hello, my friends. I am so glad you're here today because I am so excited about this episode. I have an amazing woman on the episode today. And before I get started, I want to let you know, we have our next Women Leading Powerfully Leadership Lab starting on July 23rd. We have two seats left and we are so excited about the amazing group of women that have joined this cohort starting next week. So if you are listening and you have any interest or you want to know more about it, please email me at natalie at corecreationcoaching.com and I am happy to jump on a 20-30 minute call with you to find out if the program is a really good fit for you. I know so many women right now that are literally in the midst of transition with their careers. And what this program is for and who it's for, it's for professional women who are feeling stuck in any area of their career. You either wanna transition, you don't wanna go back to the old normal, you wanna elevate in the organization you're in, maybe you wanna launch off and start your own business, or maybe you're already a small business owner and are looking to scale your business, but you're looking for support and community in order to do that. So if you're someone that's looking for clarity and confidence on how to literally grow and jumpstart your business, this is the group for you. It allows you access to a community of 12 other women plus myself and Lori Tab, who is my co-coach in the program. And again, we are doing this for the first time. We're in the midst of it right now. And the program is just going so well. I couldn't be happier. And the progress and what we're seeing in the program right now is just mind-blowing. So we have two seats left. If you're interested, please let me know. So I'm getting back to my guest today. I am so lucky to have her on. She is an environmentalist. She's a social activist. And what she's going to be sharing today are her leadership lessons from being in an amazing group of climate activists, social activists in LA. And then she went on to build a separate chapter of a climate change group where she took everything that she learned in the first organization, applied it in the second organization, and then took it globally. She's a woman that's not afraid to ask for herself. She's not afraid to dive in and do the scary things. She is someone who is tenacious and vibrant. And I think you'll be surprised. She's actually a little introverted. And she has so many wonderful things to share with all of you. And the person I'm talking about is my daughter. (laughs) I had to do that lead in. I couldn't be more proud to have my daughter, Bailey Selfors, on the episode today. And yes, of course, I have proud mom moments during this episode. But I will tell you, Bailey has some amazing leadership lessons for all of us, and I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. We had so much fun doing it. I hope you have as much fun listening to it, and literally think about it. She's 17. What can you do 
at your age to be more courageous, to dive in, and to take some of the leadership lessons that you learn here to make a difference in your life. So I invite you to think about, one, what can you do that is maybe a little scary and a little courageous today or this week? And two, how can you ask for yourself this week? Whether it's at home, whether it's at work, what can you ask for to really take control of your destiny? So I invite you to think about those couple things as we dive in with my lovely daughter, Bailey Selfors. I can't wait for you to meet her. So let's get started. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. I think I have my all-time favorite guest today. Am I really? (laughs) Why would that be surprising to you? I don't know. You're my my daughter. (laughs) Of course, you're my all-time favorite guest. Okay, cool. (laughs) Okay, so it all Well, you just have some cool people on here, so. Aww. Yep. That was more a tribute to all the cool people on your podcast. Ah, oh, that's super sweet. Okay, so no, I'm sitting here and I'm having a conversation with my daughter and I wanted to share her and her wisdom with all of my listeners because we have so much to learn from her. Okay, so Bailey, we are going to be talking about you taking chances and risks and kind of diving into the unknown with your social activist work. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason why it's so powerful is because there's so many lessons in it that so many adults need to hear. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's first talk about, like, who are you and how old are you? And (laughs) why don't you share a little bit about yourself with my audience? Okay, so I'm Bailey and I'm 17 years old. I'm going into my senior year of high school, which is crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) And basically, I'm an environmentalist and a climate activist. I try to be a social justice activist as well. So I bake a lot. I was a swimmer for eight years. I have an amazing boyfriend. Yes, you do. (laughs) So shout out to Aaron. (laughs) So how did you, how did you, so when you say you're an environmentalist, tell the audience what exactly that means. I think it can be whatever you want it to mean. I don't think there's like a set definition of what an environmentalist is. I think as long as you just care about the environment and you want to protect it, you can call yourself an environmentalist. And I think if you do actions to protect the environment, you're an environmentalist, at least in my book. Okay, good to know. Good to know. So Bailey, why don't you share with everyone how you became an environmentalist and how you became so passionate about climate change? 
So I think I've always been passionate about the environment, but I think being passionate about climate change um, came a little bit later in my life. So I know, I mean, you know, like we've always been active and we've always gone on hikes and paddleboarding and I've always been really connected to nature. So, you know, I think there is a difference between having a love for nature and then being a climate change activist. You know, it was definitely a step that I wasn't, I didn't even know I was going to take until I took it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, basically, I had just done some research at school and just, you know, hearing some more about what climate change was and how it was affecting, you know, just so many different parts of our world and our environment. I started to do my own research and, you know, try to read as many articles as I could. And then I actually came home one day and I'm going to give you credit for this. You were watching Greta Thunberg on YouTube. I was. And it was actually one of the first times I'd ever heard of her. And, you know, we watched that video of her speech to the UN and I was just so moved because she was my age at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was just so moved that someone my age could be talking to the UN and I was sitting at home on the couch like I <laughs> like I need to be doing something you know I knew enough about the climate at that point in time to realize that if she could do it I could do it so you know this whole podcast is obviously I mean obviously I want everyone to know my daughter because I think you're freaking amazing. (laughs) And what you've done at your age is literally mind-blowing. And I also want people listening to take some leadership lessons. And so Mm. one of the things you talked about, which I love, is you said, I knew I needed to do something. Like I couldn't just stay complacent. I couldn't just stay on the couch. I knew I needed to do something. Like where does that come from? That's a good question. I think it really just came from like a place of compassion because, you know, we're very privileged to say that climate change hasn't directly affected us, you know, in really direct ways. And that's definitely a privilege that we can acknowledge. You know, we have air conditioning and things like that. But I saw how it was affecting people around the world and just because you're not directly affected or even if you are, there's nothing should be stopping you from just getting involved. You know, I feel like it's so easy now. I think it's easy with social media and all that stuff that to find like a really serious roadblock with social media and there's something for everyone to do. Yeah. No, and I I love that you just took action. And so why don't you talk to everyone and share with them? So you're totally motivated. You see Greta Thunberg, you know, on TV speaking to the UN at such a young age, she becomes a mentor for you. Yeah. And she becomes an inspiration for you. So what did you do with that? <laughs> um <laughs> And crazy. this is where the story gets really crazy good. Crazy story. <laughs> <laughs> Leading up to should I spoil it? The day that I met her. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, (laughs) I know. It's Um, amazing. Yeah. So basically, I'll just backtrack a little bit. So I saw that, you know, YouTube video with you. And then I think it was 
only a month later, yeah, I think it was only a few weeks later, I started searching on Instagram for groups that I could join. And I came across Youth Climate Strike LA. And literally the day that I, I think almost the day after I followed them, they came out with ambassador applications. So right when I saw it, I applied right away. They called me the chapter lead, Jesus, who was amazing. He called me and I had an interview over the phone. I had no idea what we were doing. We were both kids, so it was more just like a conversation. And um, it was pretty chill. And I got accepted into the ambassador program. And that was basically just for outreach in different schools and stuff. And then... It was to bring people to the climate strikes. So then I went to my first climate strike on May 24th. And that was Mm life-changing. It it really was. I had never been surrounded by so many people that were passionate about the same thing that I was. And, you know, I went with one of my really good friends at the time. And we actually ended up being interviewed by CNN. Like, it was just a crazy day. And... (laughs) Wait, Just, hold on. Wait, so you were interviewed by CNN. Of course, I know this, but I'm yeah. backtracking. I don't even know if it aired. I hope it aired. I didn't really check. <laughs> I know, but the point was, is you were there. You were part of this whole organization. You were part of the group. You were interviewed by CNN. Yeah. Yeah. I And I honestly like didn't even know the capacity of the climate crisis when I was interviewed by CNN. And I think that should say a lot. Like, you kind of just got to jump into things. I wasn't going to say no, you know? And I mean, I knew a little bit about the climate and the environmental crisis at that time. I knew enough to answer some basic questions about it. And that was scary, you know, but you just, you can't turn something like that down. But honestly, that's not the thing that I remember from that day. Hmm. What was it? It's just like being surrounded by so many people that are so like-minded because, you know, where I go to school and stuff, not a lot of people share my point of view on the environment and stuff like that. So um, it was just really mind-blowing. I didn't know that that many people cared. Yeah. 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 So first of all, I just want to point out, you know, you were inspired by something you saw, you witnessed, right? As so many people are. But then they don't do anything with it. Yeah. The fact that I love, what I love about what you did is you became super curious and you started searching. You were Googling, you were looking at videos, you were wanting to learn more, right? And then you found something that you could get involved in. Now, you had never done anything like this before. No, I hadn't even gone to a climate strike at that point before I (laughs) applied to be an ambassador for Youth Climate Strike Los Angeles, which I thought was pretty funny, but. Right, and you had never done an interview before. No. Right, but yet you continue to. Well, I was working at In-N-Out at the time. Okay, yeah, so you did a job interview, but you didn't any, you hadn't done any kind of like social interview like this for. No, 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 no. Right, and so my question to you is, a lot of people out there listening to this would be like, okay, that's really scary. You know, I, a lot of people get paralyzed in inaction Mm. because they get scared and they don't want to take that next step. Like they have something that they're interested in. They have something that they want to do, but they get scared about taking that next step. So what gave you the courage to just put yourself out there? 
I think it was just my passion. I think if you find something that you just, like you can't go another day without doing something about it, you just need to find whatever that is for you, you know? Mm -hmm. Because for me, that's trying to be part of the solution, not the problem of the climate crisis. But there's so many other issues out there that you just have to find one that you're really passionate about. Yeah. No, I love that. And then I love also, you know, when you talked about you went to your first climate strike and here you are, you know, someone puts a microphone in your face and says, yeah. hey, we're, we're from CNN. Do you want to interview? And I think a lot of people would have shied away from that. Mm-hmm. And so what gave you the courage to just let me back up for a minute. I also know that you tend to be <laughs> a bit of a perfectionist. Yes. Like a lot of women listening. That is my saboteur. (laughs) I know. You're definitely the daughter of a life coach (laughs) (laughs) because you know that. And so you know that perfectionism, you know, can sometimes be a good thing, but it can also hold you back sometimes. Mm -hmm. So when CNN puts a microphone in front of you and you don't know everything about what there is to talk about about climate change. Yeah. This is your first strike. You're brand new. What gave you the courage to just say yes? Because you said, well, I couldn't say no, but I think a lot of people would have said no. Yeah, I think it's just accepting the fact that you're never going to know everything about a situation or everything about an issue. Like, I still don't know everything about the environmental crisis. There's still so many articles I could read, so many books I could read. I have a huge reading list yet to cover. And I think it's just really important that you know, the first people that did this were probably in the same boat. And that just like gave me a lot of comfort. I think also just being surrounded by people my age and realizing that, you know, we've only been alive for a short period of time and they definitely don't have all the answers either. So why am I any different? You know, like not, you're never going to find someone that knows every single thing about every single thing. That's just impossible. So basically what I hear is you just accepted the fact that you didn't know everything, but you just kept forging forward because the purpose of what you were going to be talking about was more important than what you didn't know. And I think also the fact that I didn't know is what got me involved because I just had this insatiable curiosity about, you know, doing something, taking action. I had never done anything like that. And I think for me, joining Youth Climate Strike was not only a way to take action, but a way to educate myself. I love it. Okay, so moving on. So you go to your first strike, and then what happens after that? So I was an ambassador for a couple months after that. I did um, a speech at one of the climate strikes, and then a spoken word poem at the other, and those were both in the summer. They were both kind of small. And how old were you at this time? 16. <laughs> okay. Just I just want everyone to keep this in mind as we move forward. <laughs> <laughs> and I started posting more on Instagram about it and trying to just learn as much as I could. But then I realized that I wasn't doing enough. Like even what I was doing right then, it wasn't enough for me. And how, I How did you know that? I don't really know. I just kind of felt it. Like I had I was still working in and out and it was over the summer, but even when school started, I just realized that there was there was always more I could do. 
and I just wasn't feeling like I was doing enough. Being an ambassador, not to say that the ambassadors didn't do anything, we definitely did, but not enough for me. And okay. so I went to the September 20th climate strike, which I don't know if people have like seen on the news or whatever, but LA got 20,000 people. Yeah. And that was probably one of the most important days of my life, like one of the most impactful days of my life um, because being part of the movement that got 20,000 people to the streets for the earth is just was so humbling and like mind blowing to me. And the fact that, you know, I got to participate and lead the chants and stuff like that. And I, I think I went to that strike alone. <laughs> you did. I think I drove to LA alone. You did. Yeah. 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 So I was just kind of doing my own thing. I don't know. I just felt really at home. Hmm. I love that. Mm. I love that. So I want to bring context because this is what I've been so amazed by from the very beginning. I want you to give context to the audience of how many people are in your group, how old they are, and what you guys were are and were responsible for putting together a climate strike because this to me is mind-blowing yeah so i guess i'll just continue with the story a little bit because it touches on that so i actually wasn't part of the you know core team that put together that september 20th strike but i was hanging out with you know the leads afterwards and they were like bailey like you were really helpful during the strike you know do you want to join and i was like Yes, yes, of course. So um, they asked me to be a core organizer and I joined immediately and it was so amazing. Like it just felt so great to just be able to do more with my time and, you know, have a larger role in activism in L.A. So I became the deputy director of logistics for our core organizing team. And there's, we're really small. We're only, I think we're only five or six at that point. We've gotten some, two new members since then. But if I'm doing my math right, (laughs) I think five. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was just, it was just us. We had a couple adult mentors that would, you know, from other climate organizations. But it was basically us doing all of the, I don't want to call it dirty work because it wasn't, but right. you know, it was basically us doing all of the work. And You were the boots on the ground. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I think that was probably the scariest part because I had just never done anything like that. <laughs> I can't feel like I keep saying that. I just never done anything like that. Right. And so that's what's the amazing part is. So there's five of you, core organizers, and you guys range from age in, from what age to what age? I think... 14 or 15 to 19. Okay. And so what did you guys do, the five of you? Like, you know, when you guys were working, what what were you guys responsible for? Because this is the part that blows me away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we were responsible for everything. I, you know, you never think, if anyone's ever been to a protest or a strike or anything like that, if you come as a watcher, you come as a participator, you know, you see the stage already built up, you see all the barricades, you see the police, you know, blocking off. 
But then it's really the organizers that have to do all that stuff. And that's one of the things that, you know, I guess you don't realize it just magically falls into place. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I wish it would. (laughs) (laughs) But it doesn't. So um, for the November 1st strike, which is one of the first strikes, it is it was the first strike that I helped organize. And it's it was actually when. Greta was still in the U.S. and she was doing her, you know, kind of USA tour and she just happened to be in L.A. during the time of our strike. So she was actually present at our strike, which was crazy. Amazing. I cried so much. Did I say that on the podcast? (laughs) Yes. Okay. I did. I really did. Yes. (laughs) I mean, it's amazing when, you know, when you meet your hero and your inspiration. Yeah, because I don't like look up to celebrities or anything, but... She was definitely such an inspiration for me. But anyway, so we had some adult mentors helping us. But, you know, we had to call the police. We had to, my friend Kevin, who was over 18 at the point, um, had to file the permits and stuff with the police department so that the roads would be closed. Um, That strike ended up costing us a lot of money. I think it cost us like $20,000 Okay. because um, we got, you know, some grants and some people helped us. Some really amazing adult mentors helped us put up the stage and stuff like that. But, you know, we all got there. Some of my friends stayed down there in L.A. at a hotel the night before. I got there at like 5 a.m. with my dad. And, you know, we were the ones like pushing the barricades, you know, talking to the police, um, making sure everything was set. We all had walkie-talkies and, like, those little microphone things that the security guards wear, and we felt really official. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it was just all the little things, contacting press. Um, we had only one girl on our team, Chandani, and she did all of the press stuff, wrote all the press releases, contacted, and we had, C- I think we had KTLA5 there. There might have been CNN there. We had so many big... Um, maybe even MSNBC. I really forget, but there was, um, you know, a lot of news people there. Lots I know of Channel press. 4 and Channel 2 were there. I know CBS mm-hmm. and ABC were there. Yeah, so, you know, Chandani was 15 <laughs> and she contacted all of those people. Yeah. And she Had she ever done that before? No. Right. <laughs> this is <laughs> None my... of us had ever done it before. This is my point. This is my point. Yeah. So that was a mind-blowing strike. It was just so impactful. And our whole target for that strike was against big oil companies. And Gavin Newsom, we directly targeted him. And, you know, we had some amazing speakers at our strike. And Gavin actually ended up passing some legislation around big oil companies, I think about a month later, which was super cool um, because our strike, you know, directly affected that. So absolutely. So what what next? What did you do? What did you do next? Okay, so that was November 1st. And then our last strike that we've held was December 6th. Mm-hmm. I think that date's right. And that was really special for us. And for me, especially because, you know, I had already organized the strike before I felt a little bit more confident. It was still pretty new. It was only the second one, but that was really fun because all of us girls stayed in a hotel room, you know, in LA, right across from City Hall. 
the night before and we were up at 5 a.m., you know, rushing to do our makeup and getting Starbucks and rushing over to City Hall to talk with the police to get our permits ready. And I remember, like, you know, they weren't responding to our calls. And so my friend Sarah just, like, handed me the phone. I wasn't part of logistics anymore at that point. I was part of um, public relations. Mm-hmm. And I <laughs> I had to talk to this police officer and talk about permits that, you know, I barely had no, I had no <laughs> idea what was going on. But I was just like, we need permits now. Like, we don't have our barricades set up. You know, like, the people are already here. So... You know, in those situations, you're talking to authorities and you're talking to people that are way older than you and way more experienced than you. But, you know, as an organizer, I had power and I had leadership as well. And so that kind of gave me a little boost of confidence to be like, hey, like we got these permits from the police. We got these barricades all by ourselves. We were hauling like these water barricades up the street in front of city hall (laughs) and just as kids we were just you know and i think that kind of gave me confidence that i had a whole group of really close friends around me and we were our own leaders i guess so i don't know that gave me confidence Okay, I love so much of this. We're going to come back to the lessons. Um, Okay. (laughs) Yeah, because there's so much here. I'm actually taking notes as we're talking. So, so Bailey, what happened after December 6th? So, basically, after those two strikes, we had a lot of traction in LA as, you know, one of the biggest, well, we were the biggest um, climate strike group for youth and I think just in general. Amazing. Um, So, that was really cool. And we had more of a voice in the LA community, which was really important. And in January, you know, YCSLA, Youth Climate Strike LA, we went to a few indigenous-led climate strikes. And then we also got invited to Jane Fonda's Fire Drill Fridays. And we helped her, you know, kind of coordinate in LA as we were the top coordinating climate group there for actions such as those um she had a whole campaign running for fire drill fridays so she invited us you know to come watch the strike and then a little private party afterwards (laughs) which mom likes me to tell people that i partied with jane fonda (laughs) i just think i i don't i don't like you to tell it because i don't like you to brag because i always i had never heard of this before you're like mom i'm not a cloutivist yeah i call it cloutivism i know so i had never heard of that i just think it's really cool that you guys did such great work that you know celebrities were inviting you to hang out at a private party not so much for the celebrity piece of it but just the acknowledgement of the work that you guys were doing yeah and i think that's really important too there weren't any there were celebrities at the strike you know during the day but there weren't any other celebrities at the private party it was all for her workers and like the people on her staff i mean and you know us who helped her with the strike and so that was really cool to meet her she's definitely an icon Mm -hmm. so that was cool to dance with her a little bit um and then following that that was all in january so i just turned 17 yes for context yes exactly so and because i know you're gonna ask i know you're right because you know me well because you're my daughter (laughs) (laughs) okay so then what so you turn 17 and then what happens 
And then my friend Kevin created his own nonprofit called One Up Action. And that was all based on taking the momentum from the bigger actions such as climate strikes, you know, the exact ones that we were putting on. And what do you what do you do when you go home? You know, like what do you do in your own community? So, you know, we live in Simi Valley, which is technically in Ventura County, but kind of on the brink between LA and Ventura County. So it was these huge strikes with people from all over LA County, which is so big. And then I go home and it's like, okay, what am I doing in Simi? Or Mm -hmm. what are people doing in Ventura? Or, you know, in their own communities or smaller communities. So that's really the basis of it. And it's also giving resources to people around the world to do those actions in their small communities. You know, we wouldn't have been able to do those climate strikes without the Center for Biological Diversity and those, you know, big NGOs or big nonprofits that gave us funds. And so we wanted to be a youth-led nonprofit that gave other youth those funds. We didn't want to, you know, as much as we appreciated it, we were like, we're getting our money from adults. We want to be giving out the money. You know, like we want to be in control of that. We want to be, we want to empower youth while still being a youth-led organization. And so I think that's the main concept of One of Action is we're all youth in one of, almost all of us are youth in one of action and we want to inspire and empower youth all over the world to do their own actions. Maybe not as big as 20,000 people in LA because that was crazy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, kind of like the hyper localized actions, planting trees, doing your own recycling, learning how to compost, learning just how to be an activist, you know? Yeah. So you guys talked about, or you mentioned, you wanted to empower youth all over the world. So what have you guys done with One Up Action? Yeah, so I am the International Chapter Relations Director. And basically my job is to start chapters all over the world. So we have regional developers and basically my team consists of regional developers all over the world. And they have chapter leads under them. So, you know, we're pretty non-hierarchical when it comes to giving orders and stuff. Like, we don't do that. We're youth. We're cool. (laughs) But um, (laughs) we're not hierarchical, like adult organizations. (laughs) But yeah, so my job is basically just chapter development all over the world. And now we have chapters in India and Indonesia, Ireland all over, you know, the continent of Africa. We have 24 countries that have chapters there. You know, we're getting some in Mexico, some in the US. So in just a few months, and it's just the way that it's been growing has just blown my mind. Mm -hmm. And it's just really special to be, you know, part of that, part of that change all over the world. Okay, so did everyone hear that? Because this is this is my mom brag moment. I mean, there's oh so many God. there's so many braggable moments throughout this entire podcast. <laughs> I know I'm totally gonna embarrass you, but seriously, okay. First of all, your title, international chapter relations director. You're 17, and in in can I point out that my amazing boyfriend is my deputy director? Yes, very cute. Yes, but no, and I, I mean, in all seriousness, you're the international chapter relations director for a youth nonprofit 
You guys started this in January. It's literally mid-July. And you have how many chapters all over the world? I mean, you mentioned the countries, but how many chapters all over? Oh, I don't think I've counted. I mean, between 30 and 40. Right. So between 30 to 40 chapters in India, Indonesia, Ireland, and 24 countries in Africa. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mind-blowing, right? I'm like, we just mic drop right there. I know you're totally blushing, but it's okay. (laughs) And so what else? What else do you think the audience should know about what you do? And then we'll get into some of the lessons that you've learned. Um, I think just I'm going to use a swimmer reference because I was a swimmer for eight years and I have a really bad dive, but like doesn't mean I didn't dive in, you know? Mm-hmm. I just thought about that on top of my head. I feel so proud. Of- okay. <laughs> yeah. So like I didn't know how to do anything, like literally anything. Right. And when I joined Youth Climate Strike LA, I was first put in charge of some of the logistics and I had to work out tabling for the strike. I didn't even know what tabling was. One of our adult mentors helped me with it. But, you know, I was kind of left my own devices. I figured it out the day of. And then... I went on to, you know, PR and reaching out to different organizations that could maybe partner, you know, partnerships and stuff like that. And I remember we had an interview sort of thing with the Surfrider Foundation, which anyone in SoCal knows I'm a big fan of the Surfrider Foundation. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool to just talk to one of their climate directors and, and by the way, he these, was a grown man. I was just going to say, yeah. a lot of the people that you're interacting with, they're all they're all grown. Right. So. Out, outside of the organization, you know, the, the police, the the sponsors, the other organizations. I mean, so many of these um, people, like I said, out, like you said, outside of the organization, they're all adults. Yeah, we were basically the only youth voice. You know, when we were doing those strikes, there's other youth-led organizations like the International Indigenous Youth Council, which we also partner with, and Sunrise Youth and XR Youth, Extinction Rebellion Youth, for people that don't know. But it was basically just us, you know, and all of those youth groups together had adult mentors, but we're dealing with pretty much, yeah, all adults. Yeah. So questions for you. Mm-hmm. What have you learned about yourself throughout this entire process what have you learned about you know from the time you started until now because you've been involved for what a year and a half now overall between youth climate strike and a little over a year okay yeah so what have you learned about yourself as a leader that i'm a pretty badass leader can i say that yes you can say that okay that's a woman advocating for herself and acknowledging herself yes yeah because you know i had no idea what I didn't even know what chapter relations was, <laughs> and I was kind of just put in that position. And my friend Steven and I just worked it out, you know, right? And I think also having to deal, you know, coming across obstacles not only as a youth but as a woman, which I have also come in, you know, contact with those obstacles in my activism. I think that just really showed me how strong my voice, my own voice was because, I mean, as you know, like I've been kind of quiet. And so yeah, for me, like that was a big step. Yeah. And actually, that's something that we didn't share with the audience that they may not have known about you prior mm-hmm. is that, you know, I think up until recently, 
you've been pretty quiet. Yeah. I've always kind of been like the introverted, you know, person in class and stuff like that. So when people found out that I was getting involved in activism, they were like, Bailey? Like, (laughs) what? It surprised people. (laughs) Yeah, it really did. And they thought it was like way less. I think that's something that surprised me is like a lot of people around me were like, oh, that, you know, that's cool. Oh, are you going to the beach and picking up a little trash on the weekends? Yeah, (laughs) I think they really downplayed it based on how quiet I was. But then when I learned more about the people in the climate movement, you know, it's the type of people like me. Like, there's a lot of really outspoken, outspoken people, but there's so many different roles that have really quiet people and people in the middle and I think there's no re- like there's no excuse. I don't know. If that's like the one thing you take away from this podcast is that there's really no excuse because if you're passionate about something like there's so many there's so many different avenues, you know. We have social media directors, we have logistics. If you don't like, you know, there's people on my team that really don't like conversing with those adults and they don't really, you know, enjoy being put on the spot or being put on the spotlight. So they do more of the logistics stuff. Right. And I think there's always a place for everyone. Yeah. And Especially I, as youth. We really try to empower everyone. Yeah. And I think what I hear you saying is that, you know, just be cognizant of, like, get out of your comfort zone, but also push yourself to get out of your comfort zone, but also maybe in roles that feel in alignment with you. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I moved around a lot in Youth Climate Strike just within the couple positions that we had. When I first joined, I was in logistics, and then I moved to partnerships, and now I'm internal comms because, you know, having a life coach as a mom is helpful for that. (laughs) I'm a pretty good mediator, I think, at this point. And that's really where I feel where I can give the most, you know. And in the other positions, I still did it, even though... I had no clue what I was doing and I still enjoyed it because I was still doing something for the climate. But then you really just have to, you know, play around with it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So you're doing all of this on top of, I mean, how many hours a week do you say, would you say you spend um, on your activism? Oh, that's hard. Maybe, well, especially, you know, leading the chapter relations department right now i'm i haven't really counted up maybe like 10 to 15 yeah yeah and then plus you have a full school workload and you were Mm. working at the time and your workload at school isn't easy i mean you're taking (laughs) you're taking you're you're taking four ap classes you know honors classes i mean Mm. you're in a you're on the rigorous curriculum so you have all of that in addition to your hashtag proud mom moment. I know. <laughs> I know. I feel like you're about to say that. <laughs> hashtag proud mom moment. <laughs> um, so the reason why I had you on the show was not only so everyone could meet you and hear how awesome oh my daughter my is. <laughs> um, no, but in all seriousness, you know, I have so many clients and so many women in the group coaching program who are afraid. Mm. They're afraid that they don't know everything. They don't have all the credentials. They don't, 
they don't have, you know, they're perfectionists themselves. So many women are. Yeah. And they're afraid to take the next step about something that they're passionate about. And so, I, I mean, not only are you a complete role model for, for people like that, but what would you say to people? Well, I would say what you said to me a while ago, which is like one of the mantras that always stuck with me is, you know, don't fake it till you make it fake it till you become it mm. and like that's really stuck with me ever since mock trial and you know when I had to get up on the stand and like my hands would be shaking but no one could see because I put them in my pockets you know like that type of stuff and I remember the first time I did I performed one of my poems at the climate strike like my paper was like sh- like was shivering because I was my like my hands were shaking but you couldn't tell in my voice. And so I think, and then it just got easier and easier. Like now I feel so at home when I'm at a climate strike. And I feel like I know everyone in the crowd, even though they're all strangers. And I think that's really special. So yeah, I think just, you know, you're never going to have all the answers and it's never going to be like perfect timing. You know, I was, I was at a job. I was working in and out pretty heavily during the summer, last summer. And I didn't have a whole lot of time, but if it's really something you're passionate about, I really think that, you know, there's nothing that can't stop you. I don't want to sound cliche, (laughs) but yeah, I think as a, I know you coach a lot of women too. So not just for men, but especially as a woman, like I've definitely learned my strengths and I've learned that I just have so much strength and yeah, that's been really cool to like, you know, not only empower myself, but empower other people, other women. Yeah. So what are your strengths? Sure. So I definitely think my biggest strength would be my empathy. Just because I care a whole lot yeah. <laughs> about a whole lot of things. That's true. Things. So, um, yeah. And driven because just with school and my activism and stuff it's hard because so much of my work goes unnoticed that I think it's I kind of like it that way because it's like you know I wouldn't you brag about me a lot but a lot of my friends don't really know everything that I'm doing and all the work that I'm putting into it and you know I would never go up to them and be like oh my god I'm doing this this and this you know and in a way that's cool for me because I know how driven I am and like I know how hardworking I am and I don't need to like prove that to anyone else you know Mm -hmm. yeah it's just you acknowledge yourself you don't need that external acknowledgement to know what you're doing is the right thing and 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 you don't need that external acknowledgement to feel good about it yeah definitely and I think I've also gotten the opposite like people at my school you know not to rat anyone out but you know people have kind of bagged on me a little bit for my being loud and using my voice you know I'm not a loud person but like being loud on social media and you know using my passion using my voice to really make a change and I'm so proud of myself and I've even like gone to some not arguments but you know some people in my school just don't understand and they think I'm kind of (laughs) weird for being like I'm kind of known as like that tree hugger girl at school, which, you know, cool. Like, 
I'll go hug a tree. Like, I don't care. <laughs> Does that sound weird? No, it doesn't sound weird. No, but what it, I mean, what you're saying is so important, Bailey, because here's why. So many women, especially, want to be liked. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I was going to bring it up, but you already brought it up around, you know, it's not like this has all been rainbows and unicorns. No, it definitely hasn't. And so, you know, there has been struggles along the way. Like, you haven't known how to do things. You figured it out, right? That's mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Yeah. You also, you have gotten some backlash socially. Mm-hmm. At a really vulnerable time in most people's lives is in high school where you want to be fully accepted and <laughs> yeah. you want everyone to like you mm-hmm. and everything else. And you have gotten some social backlash of, you know, people making fun of you for your passion. And how have you handled that? I think it's just... Like, the people whose opinions I care about having, like, that's who I focus on, you know? I could really care less what, you know, if people look down on me because I organize climate strikes. Like, I'm more passionate about making sure that I use my privilege well and making sure that I acknowledge those things. And, you know, I uplift other activists and, you know, that... I'm doing just as much social justice work as I am climate work. And like, those are the things that I try to focus on. And those people's approvals are who I care. You know, I care more about that than (laughs) some, you know, I love all the people at my school, but like some people, you know, that are my age that just don't get it. Yeah. I think, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I I think one of the things I've learned, you know, throughout my career and you know i mean i'm 50 now which still sucks to say but (laughs) (laughs) no i'm just kidding i'm really owning it but no i I mean is you know what if you're trying to please everyone you're pleasing no one and and you're not really doing the best and you're not really living an authentic life because you're living for everyone else yeah and i i have struggled with that you know as an activist also, you know, being a white activist, if you want to, you know, get yeah. into this, yeah. is I've struggled a lot with how do I use my privilege? How do I, you know, really acknowledge that and use that for good, you know? And sometimes I struggle because I don't want to take up space, but I also want to use my voice. And so that's been like a hard line to kind of tiptoe. And I honestly think that no one's perfect you know I definitely made mistakes at some point you know it's like a it's a learning process and I care more about the people that are around me and making sure that we all learn together you know we all use pronouns when we're introducing each other even if we're not part of the LGBTQIA plus community you Mm -hmm. know and it's just to make those people feel more welcome in saying their pronouns and that's just like a little example of something that i had to learn and that i wasn't used to but you know those people's impression like i care about making impressions on the people those activists around me and the people that really care then you know there's always going to be people that like think you're lame or think that you're (laughs) just some crazy tree hugger (laughs) right and you're just owning being a crazy tree hugger i am i really am i know i love it so i also know a lot of women struggle with failure 
Mm. So they're afraid to try. They're afraid to try something new. They're afraid to go for a new role in their organization or, you know, volunteer to be on the board of that charity that they really want to because they don't know how to do it. And and they're afraid that they're going to fail. Do you feel, what, what are your thoughts around failure? Basically, what you've always taught me is failure is an opportunity. And I think one of the most prominent times that I realized that was in my different positions in Youth Climate Strike because I guess I wasn't necessarily failing, but I wasn't, I knew I wasn't doing the best job that I could and I was feeling kind of uncomfortable in the position. Um, not because I was scared, just because I didn't feel like I was using my strengths well. And for me, because I'm a perfectionist, that was almost failure, you know, because. I was like, I'm not doing the best I can. I need to do better. So I just use that as, as an opportunity to like figure out what my strengths are. And I realized that that's in internal comms. So that's mm-hmm. why I stretch, switched. So I didn't really let it set me back. I just let it, you know, drive me forward. And if you want me to go into another example, yeah. um, with one of action, you know, we work with some of our regional developers in Kenya and we had a little issue of funds, you know, transferring funds over there. And I had overpromised because I got excited mm-hmm. and I didn't realize that there were some communication differences when it comes to, you know, how we communicate in the U.S. and how they communicated in Kenya. And, you know, it was sort of like a failure i guess because my team did overpromise them funds and then when we had a conversation about it they were telling me how my tone was a promise to them and for me my tone was you know just excitement but it was just you know a language difference working with people internationally that i had never worked with before and then i just felt so i guess humbled in that situation And I automatically became curious of like the differences, you know, I was like, I wasn't even sad at myself anymore that I had, you know, messed up. I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. Like, that's so cool that like I was learning from them and like there were adults and stuff, but we were on a call together. It was me and four adults and we're talking about like NGO registration in Kenya and I was kind of in over my head and then we were just talking about how tone and communications can be perceived differently and I just for me I just thought that that was such like a good learning experience yeah yeah so you would reframe failure to just a learning opportunity Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah all right so Bailey we're coming to the end and I know the whole topic of this is really around lessons in leadership for my audience but you're a huge climate activist, so I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to share with people, um, because that's what your whole goal is, I would really like you to share with people what they can do to make a difference with regard to climate change. Yeah, so basically, there's always something, there's something that you can do. I think the main thing is to always educate yourself and to continue educating yourself you know, get some books, read some articles about climate change, listen to the news, listen to CNN, 
you know, they don't talk about it too much, but there's definitely articles and some great resources out there to just, you know, educate yourself more on the topic and to just think and act sustainably, you know, not just eco-friendly, but sustainably. So that looks like changing out, you know, things in your kitchen for reusable you know, washcloths maybe or dryer balls or toothpaste tabs. Like those are just some little examples, but those little things really add up. And I think it's also realizing the intersectionality of the issue of climate change. Basically know that if you're helping any other social justice issue, you're also helping the climate crisis. Can you talk a a little bit more about that? What does that mean? The broad premise is that, you know, we all live on the same earth. And the climate crisis, I think, is one of the most intersectional issues of our time because, you know, if you're helping with the Black Lives Matter movement or if you're researching what indigenous land you're on, you know, or if you're realizing the food deserts that are in your city, maybe there's a ton in L.A. Those are all interconnected to climate change. And I think that's like a way bigger topic that we probably don't have time for today. But just know that if you're doing any kind of social justice work, then you're also doing climate work. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. So find whatever you're passionate about and you're probably helping the climate. (laughs) I love that. Thank you for sharing. I know it's near and dear to your heart and you're super passionate about it. So I didn't want to leave the episode without giving some people some um, direction around what they could do. So what last leadership lessons do you have for my audience before we call it a night? I'd basically just say, you know, what I said earlier is like, just dive in. Even if your dive is crappy, I get roasted for my swim dive all the time. (laughs) Um, Just, you know, you just got to go for it. Even if you don't know, you're never going to know anything, everything. Right. You're never going to be totally equipped or know all of the social cues or, you know, of being an activist or doing a certain job or, but everyone else around you started the same point. So I just took a lot of comfort from that. And I think everyone can, you know? Yeah. What else? Um... I guess as a woman, as a woman, like just owning your own leadership and just being okay with being a boss. Because <laughs> I feel like I'm a boss sometimes. <laughs> you are a boss. <laughs> You're a badass boss. But you also have to be really humble about it, which I am. Yeah. No, you are. Yeah. You are. You know, it's funny because... I I think that's actually more of a boss attitude. Tell me more. Like, because like I was saying before, like people don't really know about my activism much. But like, you know, internally, I'm really proud of myself because I'm doing, you know, great work. But the people around me would almost never know, which I think is cool because it's just for myself. It's not to because I'm not a cloutivist. Yes. But what would you say to women in what would you say to women in the workforce who um, don't always advocate for themselves? So there are a lot of like I hear what you're saying because you you don't want to do it because you don't want to be a cloutivist 
and <laughs> and you don't want to brag about it because you you do want to be humble about it. But if you what a lot of women struggle with in the workforce is they're doing the hard work, they're yeah. putting in the hours, they're putting in the effort, and what's happening is they don't make it known to their superiors or to leadership what they're doing. And so a lot of times their work goes unnoticed. So mm. what would you say to those women? I mean, I think it's easier said than done, but just learning how to own it and also asking for yourself, even if it may be uncomfortable. Like the almost every single opportunity that I've had as a climate activist, like I asked for. You know, I mean, I was offered to be a core organizer, but I applied to be an ambassador. You know, I changed I changed positions inside the leadership role. And there's there's been different opportunities that I've had. I, you know, I got interviewed at my school mm-hmm. from Kate uh, Spectrum mm-hmm. and that was just something that, you know, they put out there and they're like, who, you know. And I responded and I was like, I think that would be really cool. Like, I would love to do that. And it wasn't because I thought I could do it any better than anyone else. It was just because, I don't know, I just asked for it, you know? Yeah. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. It's, you know, it's taking that, it's taking that proactive approach to really own your journey. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, it's owning it and from a, even a humble place, you're the most humble person I know. Thank you. And you, you, uh, but you still own your destiny and you're still curious and you're, you know, you are showing up like a boss every day (laughs) in what you do. And I'm so proud of you. I just want you you to know I'm so proud of you. Thanks, mom. And you know me, I'm going to start tearing up. So I know (laughs) (laughs) because I'm a huge sap. It's okay. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I think you have shared so many wonderful leadership lessons with my audience and you are my all-time favorite podcast guest. And I'm super, super excited and happy that you took the time to do this. (laughs) Thanks, mom. I love you. I love you too. (laughs) All right. Good night, everyone. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now.